It is the dog days of summer. How are you doing? Horrible. I know. <laughs> Terrible. I know. Thanks for asking. And not just because the world's on fire also? Yeah, I mean, the world's on fire. Yeah. Literally and figuratively, <laughs> everything's on fire. Halfway to Christmas, though. So that's, that's really, true. it's officially halfway to Christmas. <laughs> Always find on the bright side, GP. <laughs> you know, we're going to London soon. Yeah. So I have, because I'm such a nerd, I have like the app, the weather app uh-huh. for London. Yeah. Do you know that the sun sets at 930 in the summer in London? Is Why? that good or bad? That's horrible. Okay. Why is it so light out for so long? Just give me the darkness. Hi, Jillian Benzavalli. Hello, Patrick Hines. Fam, welcome to True Crime Obsessed. Wow. The thanks. podcast where Jillian and I recap well, true crime what? documentaries. This is weird. Don't do that. <laughs> Throwing me off. What if this is somebody's like first time ever hearing us? Well, they are in for it. They totally are in for They're it. They're really welcome, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. It's not too late to see yourself out. No, it's true. Just yeah. Godspeed. Godspeed. New friend. I'm also going on tour. I'm going on tour with Maggie and Tim and Lance. We're going to Florida, Atlanta, St. Paul, and Texas. There you go. Yeah, check us out. We're doing the Disappearance of Maura Murray tour. Very funny. Very funny. Go see it. I will not be there. I will be there in spirit, but go yes. anyway. And then you're coming to Obsessed Fest. Of course I'm coming to Obsessed Fest. Bam, Obsessed Fest. We just went and toured the venue. I got to tell you, it is absolutely gorgeous, this hotel. I can't wait. The space is beautiful. The main stage is beautiful. Jillian and I are doing our show. Ellen and Joey are doing their show. Yeah, and we got some things coming your way. It's, it's going to be a weekend of 2,200 of your true crime best friends. So oh. get your tickets while there's not that many tickets left. So wow. get them while you still can. All right, well, we'll see you there. Yeah. What are, you have anything else to say for yourself? No, I don't, okay. actually. <laughs> I have a lot of things to say for this bitch. Yeah. Bryn, in a minute. <laughs> Hate her. Hate her guts. Let's do this. Oh, girl, what are we talking about today? Oh, man, we're talking about the last days of Phil Hartman. It was an ABC News special. I watched this when it came out years ago. Yeah, it came out in 2019. Yeah. That is technically years. That's when people true. say years ago, it always feels You're like right. around 10, you, but it's true. You know what, Daisy, my eight-year-old daughter, her new thing to say, whenever we go anywhere we haven't been in a day, Daddy, we haven't been here in years. In per- I love she when says, kids, in years. I love when kids like hear something and then yeah. pick up on it, and then they say it for the next two weeks. Can I it's tell one more say. quick Daisy story? Yeah. She was having a tantrum the other day, and li- like a literal tantrum, and we were like not letting her do the thing she wanted to do, and she starts going... You're raining on my parade. Oh, jeez. Don't rain on it, Daddy. Don't rain on it. You are definitely her parents. Mike used to say when he was little, he thought pardon my French meant like when you just like to preface something, pardon my French, but can you please pass the whatever? (laughs) Is that like the most wholesome thing? Oh, kids are cute. Well, some of them. Funny man, Phil Hartman has the world on a string. But things are rocky at home. Phil was getting a lot of attention, and she wasn't getting any attention. Brent, my wife, Brent. I know she did start using cocaine. I never hid this. I'm at a Christmas party at Phil's house with Grin and one of her friends, and they both say, Andy, do you have any coke? I went, yeah, I do. I didn't even know she had a problem at all in the first place. Didn't know. Phil mentioned more than once that Bren would physically attack him. He said, yeah, she throws things at me, she slaps me. I said, she doesn't have a gun, does she? No one thinks this is going to happen. No. When we go through the door, we find a man laying on the bed. He has a bullet hole through his forehead. There's a woman laying next to him, and she also has a gunshot wound. Try to value the many blessings that have been bestowed upon him. But there's also this sense of vulnerability if fortune took a turn for the worse. 
we're starting at Catalina Island. This is where Natalie Wood died. Also, wow. Okay. Okay, I let was me bring go, the room down. I was going to go in a totally different way okay. because all I can think of is that song Catalina Breeze from the documentary Now Episodes about the Blue Jean Committee with what our, co- are you with about? our collective boyfriend, Bill Hader. Catalina Breeze, Catalina. <laughs> That's a little I, bit of a deep cut. I don't know what you're talking about, but I went right to death. Yeah, I went straight to Bill Hader, which is really just a detour because <laughs> he true. loves his true crime. It's true. We meet Phil Hartman's friend, Britt. He's here. He's here, yeah. And he and Phil were really, they were best friends and traveling buddies. They just like went up to Catalina Bay a lot. They were so close that his third wife, Bryn, thought they were gay together. Yeah, and Bryn was like, <laughs> I have no problem with it, but no. really, we just wanted to get the hell away from Bryn. We all hated it's her. It's true. I gotta say, back in the day, this guy, Brent, who's the friend of Phil Hartman, was gorgeous. Very handsome. Oh my, the t- yeah. he fell out a t-shirt like nobody. <laughs> Like nobody's, pardon my French, but can he fill out a (laughs) t-shirt? Oh, no. Thanks for that one, Mike. He's a pardon my French celebrity. Oh, Oh, you're not. There's a line. I know. As Jed Bartlett would say, look behind you. But this is where we learned that Phil Hartman really loved the out of doors. At this point in his life, he's like a super famous guy. Yeah. He would go to Catalina Island with his not gay boyfriend who could fill out a t-shirt. Yeah, like nobody's And they would just like, yeah, they'd get away from the people. They'd go into the nature. And they'd get away from one person in particular, and her name is Bren. We're going to get to her. (laughs) But we get like the Phil Hartman backstory, and Chris Connolly is here. He is the Diane Diamond of true crime. He's everywhere I know, I know. He's in everything we cover. But he, you know, he says he was born, he says this thing about Phil Hartman. He goes, he was born in the same town that gave us the greatest hockey (laughs) player of all time, Wayne Gretzky. Then he never says the name of the town, which is Brantford, Ontario. I know! And then he goes, and like Wayne Gretzky, made it big in Los Angeles. Big Big in Los Los Angeles. Angeles. I'm like, Chris, enough about (laughs) Gretzky. I know. Did Wayne Gretzky play for like the Los Angeles skaters or whatever? He played for the Kings for quite some time. Did he play for the 49ers? Yeah, he played for the He played for the San Francisco Californians. For the New York Knicks. Yeah, 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 yeah. But the thing is, Hartman was one of eight kids. I mean, that's my dad was one of eight. My dad was the oldest of eight. Really? My mom was one of six. I mean, that is that is so many kids. I know. My dad's an only child, so (laughs) I I really truly have one child. I do not understand how anybody has more than one. I know. I don't know what you do. And I got to tell you, as an only child, it's great. Yeah. I yeah. love being an only Good. child. I'm glad to hear Days is an only child. I feel like we're doing okay, but... Everything's going great. We'll you know? only find out later. You know She's going to be super independent and like do her own thing. It's I awesome. just continue to rain on her parade. Just... Daddy, don't rain on it. We, don't been, rain on it. It's been years. <laughs> it's been years. It's been years. So Phil loved California in the 60s. He started surfing more. He started living that beach bum lifestyle. He's the class clown, getting high, various romances when he's quite popular. He's the class clown, popular, always getting high and dating around. Which is so <laughs> crazy. But they make the leap really quickly that he like lived, he grew up in Canada, but then moved to Southern California like yeah. right after. I guess like for high school. I don't know. But for, he was in California in the 60s for high school. And like surfing. Can you imagine Phil Hartman on a surfboard? I know. <laughs> the idea of Phil Hartman is this like hippie in Southern California in the 60s does not track. Does it really make it? any sense. No. But as Chris Connolly tells us. So in school, Phil has any number of people who he's entertaining, but one of the people is Squeaky Frome. Squeaky Frome! <laughs> our first record scratch moment. I, and not our last, by the way. No, they went to high school together. He was friends with Squeaky Frome in high school. Lynette, they want us to know, Lynette, is her real name. I know, Lynette Squeaky Frome. Yeah. And so she was listening. Still alive, by the way. Lives not too far from here. She's out and she walks among us. I, she walks among us. Squeaky. And Squeaky Frome. <laughs> She's from the Manson family, I know. Yes, everybody. Yes, in case yes. You know. And she tried to kill, what's his, that president. If anyway. anyone listening to this does not know that 
you have homework to do. It's Go back and listen to our Manson episodes. That, this, this one person is I their know. first like entry into true crime, and it's this episode. They, they were trying to Manson find is. that Glennon Doyle podcast, right. and they ended up here. <laughs> Ooh, wrong turn. Wrong turn. They took a. <laughs> <laughs> they took a wrong turn and found us. They took a wrong like, turn at Glennon Doyle and found. Yeah. I don't know how it happened, but welcome. The wrong turn. Mm. That's a good gay bar, right? Absolutely. Right. Oh, the wrong turn. I anyway, love it. so Squeaky was listed in the yearbook as personality plus and Chris Connolly goes she was about to be in cahoots with a personality plus I'll tell you that much and then some <laughs> picture of Charles Manson <laughs> and I'm like I know this came out in 2019 but was he trying to get like a permanent place on the call sheet for I these documentaries he, with these one liners he had a call with Diane Diamond the night before he sat down for She's his like, interview here's what you do here's what you, here's what you gotta bring do bring up Manson and Gretzky <laughs> any which way you can <laughs> Chris, enough about Gretzky. You guys, let I, it go. I used to DM with Diane Diamond on the regular until she came for me on Twitter about my political beliefs. Diane. Diane. Sit down. Where I are you know. now? It's very weird. You're pretty upset about the Supreme Court, right, Diane? Right? I don't think she is. I don't know about that. Anyway. So in 1966, he goes to Santa Monica City College. We meet a guy named Wink. I love this guy, Wink. Wink Roberts. I know. Friend from college. Phil Hartman had a bunch of normie friends, meaning like normal, non-famous people. This guy, Wink, was his friend like all through his life. Yeah. Met him when, before he was famous. They're in art school together. They're probably a little gay sometimes, according to his third wife, Bryn. Who we hate. Who <laughs> we hate. We'd go on surfing adventures, sailing to Catalina. Just had some of the best times ever. Every is really confirming that Phil loved going on adventures, sailing or skiing. He was like all over the place. Or surfing. Wink tells us about their surfing adventures. Yeah. But Wink tells us about this one time they go to a place called Hot Creek where they have geo... Wait, I can say it. Geothermically heated pools. They're like natural hot springs. Right. And he's saying like this is in the 60s and Phil Hartman could do like all these voices. Right. And so I've heard this story before. They were like sitting in the hot springs which was creating the steam so nobody could actually see anybody. But there were like hundreds of people there but you couldn't see your hand in front of your face. There's like over a hundred people in here, you know, laughing. And then I thought, Phil, do John Wayne, Jack Benny. Oh, Josh, now Josh gave me this house. For two hours, he held a hundred people in the palm of his hand who could not see him. It was just this voice in the night. And I'll never forget at the very end, I said, that was Phil Hartman, ladies and gentlemen. He's going to be a big star one day. Wink is like, that's my friend Phil Hartman, everybody. He's going to be a big star. Yeah, Wink, right. you can see the future, girl. I know, right? So then Phil becomes a roadie for a band called The Rockin' Foo. <laughs> I know. His brother was the manager. Yeah, his brother's like a... His brother's a big... Whist- his brother... <laughs> His brother is a big wig in the music biz. There they smoke the pot. They meet the Janis Joplin. Yeah. And Hendrix and Buddy Mott. Like, all of these people. I know. That are just amazing. And then, again, Chris calls him the far... He's like a Forrest Gump figure because he was everywhere in the 60s. <laughs> he says that he's, like, at all the most important rock and roll moments. Good I for know. you, Hartman. Good job. I feel like Phil Hartman came out of the womb fully formed at 60 years old. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, I can't imagine him as a young person. But when we see pictures of him, he was good looking. He was, but he's... He's one of those people. This is going to sound really stupid, but I hope you understand. What I I'm doubt saying. that. He's he said like not his coming face, out of that mouth. Thanks. His face really stayed the same. So like his it's yeah. like his face from when we know him as famous only on like a sixteen year old kid's body. It's you true. know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, he yeah. does look like he just always looked like that. It's true. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, like as he's getting to this point in his life, it's like the mid to the end of the sixties. He's trying to figure out what he wants to do with his life. He's one of those people I can totally relate to this who has like a normal regular life and is happy but feels like they're not meeting their like performing potential yeah when I opened the daycare I remember being like I'm gonna have fun opening a daycare but I guess I guess this is it for me uh-huh. I'm kind of a funny 
gay person. I've right. got more to do, but I guess this is it. And that's how Phil Hartman was feeling. And so he like goes out and discovers himself. I've had relationships like that where I'm like, well, I guess I'm just not going to be one of those happy people. Totally. <laughs> like shower thoughts of like, yes. wow, yep. I guess I won't have love in my I, life. That is so sad. But I know. also like, oh my God, when I was in sixth grade and I knew I liked boys, uh-huh. I remember thinking, I'll just marry a woman, but be really open-minded. Yeah, and be like really sad and depressed so, your whole life. I'll be sad. Yeah. I know. Just like resolving to like, well, yeah. I'm not going to be loved. No. <laughs> well, I just have to deal with this person who's oh, horribly mean to me. Yeah. yeah. That's it. And That's well, my life. And because you deserved it. Of course. You know what I mean? My God, he told me so on a daily basis. Exactly. Oh, my God. So in 1970, Phil marries Gretchen Lewis. Yeah. And then we learned that Phil was not good at relationships. As they went on, Phil started pulling away emotionally. And that would become his M.O. in years to come. It seemed that Phil fell in love easy, but wasn't very skilled at uh, continuing a relationship. We have to have a difficult conversation. Yeah. Because there's some shit we learned about Phil Hartman that's fucking garbage. That's not great. And it's like, really bad. Phil Hartman, that's a choice. You're not bad at relationships. You choose not to get better at them. Like, he would sort of like the chase, and then once he had the woman, he yeah. felt like he didn't need to try anymore. And or the thing is, decent... like, except for the third time, these other women, he gets tens every time. They're amazing yeah. women. Yeah. They love him. They believe in marriage. Mm-hmm. They believe in growing and, like, learning to love each other more. And then he just instantly gets bored. And then rather than, like, making any effort, he just just becomes an asshole. And he would totally detach. So that's Sorry if you traveling. all love Phil Hartman. We all do. Yeah. I'm just saying, like, this is a truth about him. Yeah, There's it doesn't couple... take away from Troy McClure. No, <laughs> it doesn't no. take away from any <laughs> yeah, of that. But yeah. it's true, like, he would detach. So all of these, like, he really loved being on the water and loved skiing. He was yeah. escaping right. this, like, horribly mundane relationship that he was super into being in. And he first. doesn't learn from it. He yeah. doesn't, he's never like, oh, I'm just not a commitment guy. He like marries this amazing woman. Two years later, they break up and then he's right back into another marriage. Right. So yeah, that's exactly what happened. So they get divorced in 1972 while he's designing album covers for bands. And we're talking about bands like America. Their biggest hit was Horse With No Name. You see, I've been through the desert on a horse with no name. We consider that yacht rock. Sure. Okay, great. Right? Yeah. Is that Yacht Rock? I think so. Who knows? Who knows? In 1975, Phil discovers the Groundlings. And the yes. Groundlings is huge. And Julia Sweeney is here. Julia Sweeney's here. Julia Sweeney is a national fucking treasure. Yeah. And it could just be that she was Pat on Saturday Night Live. And I grew up in the era of Pat. Pat was like a character to be made fun of on Saturday Night yeah. Live. And like, because it was dealing with like sexual ambiguity and gender identity, I got a lot of shit for Pat because my name was Fuck. also Pat. I hate everybody. Like, it made me feel very close to Julia Sweeney and she's here and I love her. She's here and she's yeah. like, she's great here. Yeah. But like you, people, if you don't know the Groundlings, it's like, it's an improv troupe and a school that was just starting up in 1975. But here are some people who went through the Groundlings. Yeah. Will Ferrell, Sherry O'Terry, Kristen Wiig, Lisa Kudrow, John Lovitz, Maya Rudolph. Yeah. If you think someone's funny, there's an excellent chance they totally. went through the Groundlings. Yeah, and it's like UCB was like the East Coast version. Yeah, and Second, Second City, City was yeah, like Chicago. Yeah, yeah. So Phil is pulled up. They do this thing where they pull up an audience member. He's just there as an audience member. He's just watching. They'd ask for an audience member to come up, and I was backstage. And Phil all of a sudden leaps up and begins doing impressions. I never saw an audience member come up with that kind of excitement and energy. It was like a hurricane hit that stage, and I mean in a good way. And he is instantly, from the second he's on stage, a major part of the Groundlings. Yeah. They invite him right away, which is a huge, huge deal. Yeah. Well, you know what else is amazing? What? We learned that Phil Hartman was on the dating Who game. wasn't on the <laughs> dating game? I didn't realize that, like, the dating game was to 1960s, like, California, what Law & Order is to today's yes. New York. 
One thing we can pretty much establish is that every Los Angeles male went on the dating game at some point. And a lot of celebrities, people who went on to become famous when they were young, passed through that as like a rite of passage. It was a stop people made on the road to fame. Everyone's on it. Every famous person like made their way through the dating game. George Foreman. Yes. Gregory Hines. Steve Martin. Martin. The lady actually picks him and then she stood him up for the date. What? Isn't that crazy? She probably sensed he was closed off emotionally. That's true. But we also learned that he dated like every woman in the Groundlings. Every woman in the Groundlings, they say, went on one date with him. But they all had a first date. I, they all had a first date. And I think they all had a better sense of themselves to be like, oh, I'm not getting mixed up with this emotionally unavailable person. Yeah, because it's pretty clear, you know, yeah. like it's pretty clear from the outset. And then someone says, Phil Hartman is not vulnerable. Phil Hartman will not let you into that place. So the problem is, by the time you find out that Phil might not be marriage material, you're already married to him. By the time you realize he's not marriage material, you're already married to him? I know. Why do you keep doing that, Phil? I don't get it. Well, let's meet Lisa Jarvis, Phil's second wife. She's awesome. I love her. They get married in 1982. She's here. And she really loved him. And, like, she wanted it to be forever. And they didn't really have a big wedding. They just had a party. And, you know, every all of Phil's friends were like, oh, Lisa's the one. Like, he's more, he's opening up to her. And it was kind of like, this is it. Finally, Phil has learned. He's grown. And, like, right after they get married, his career starts to take off. So he's getting commercials. He's booking movies. He's in a Cheech and Chong movie. I know. The Gong Show made a movie and he was in it. I know. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like there's a lot of things that happen in like 1970s comedy that would not happen today. Uh, no. You know what I mean? Not even a little bit. (laughs) Mm -mm. No. But Lisa's saying they loved each other, but the second they got married, he changed. I mean, really within a few weeks of being married. Yeah. She goes, I became the wife. I became the person he didn't have to pay attention to anymore. He's calling her clingy, telling her she's got to get her own life and her own friends. He's being horrible it's to her. It's been like two weeks. Yeah, he's pushing her away. You know, you're a black hole. No one could ever fill you. And at one point, she's like, okay, like she's really trying. On our first anniversary, we went to Santa Barbara. I dressed up in this trashy lingerie or something and got a whole outfit. And I jumped up on the bed and I stood over him and he said, must you? Really? So I said, no. Took it off, put a robe on, got my book out, and I knew that was at the end. I put on a robe, and I pulled out a book, and I knew my marriage yeah, was over. she's like, actually, <laughs> I don't. Absolutely no, not. I don't, Phil. Nope. Like, this is over. I was like, Lisa is not fucking around. And she's not fucking around a little bit either. I love her. <laughs> I know. So by 1985, Phil meets Bren. We hate Bren. We hate her we on site. We hate, hate her. Bren. Yeah, and this story is bananas. She's moved to L.A. to become an actor. Well, her real name was Vicky Joe. Right, <laughs> Totally. And she's like from a little town and she moved to LA to like be a movie star. And Julia Sweeney's like, she was really striking. And she was the kind of person that would like walk into a, a restaurant or a party and everyone just like stared at her. Everyone's like, who is that? Yeah. She like doesn't do well in her acting career. She just immediately starts dating famous men. <laughs> yeah. Like the implication yeah. is that she's trying to sleep her way to fame, uh-huh. which I think she was trying to do. I mean, fine. Right. Exactly. You know? I'm like, she's a fucking murderer and we hate her, but we yeah. have to sleep. Shame. No, we don't absolutely not have to slut shame, but she does date Rob Reiner, to which I said, did you ask him every day what it was like to make Stand By Me my favorite movie of all time? Oh my God. I know. Sleepless in Seattle. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but someone says she enjoyed Rob and all of his friends, like Billy Crystal. The word enjoyed. Yeah, but they say the same thing about Phil. They're like, the fact that she had dated a famous guy like Rob Reiner made her more attractive to him. He thought that was a sign of success, which yeah, is what we learned. Kind of garbagey. So, yeah, and the thing is, like, he wanted a hot 
number. She wanted help in her career. Like, uh-huh. they both wanted something from each other. Yeah, and, like, that can definitely be fun and sexy. Just, like, do you all like each other? Right. I mean, because according to, like, the people here in this documentary, Phil said, you know, like, stick with me, kid. I'll yeah. make sure you get those roles in Hollywood. And she's yeah. like, okay. But it's- you know what? Also, he just doesn't fucking follow through on that. No. Well, she's also bad. I. But then he never says to her, like, it's not going to work out. You're not. He just, like, he he's like, everything. I forgot to ask the director. I know. Like, everything could have been handled better. Yeah. But we meet Bryn's brother, Greg. And Shut the up, first, Greg. Shut Greg up. is a total Bryn apologist, but the first thing he tells us is that she loved cocaine. I know she did start using cocaine. And she would tell me about parties she would go to and how fun it was and that this cocaine was a great drug. And she had a problem with cocaine. She did too much cocaine. Loved, loved it, it, loved it, loved it. Loved it. And I got to tell you, I've never done cocaine. Neither I never I. will because I know I would love it too. Really? Yeah, because it's one of those things that makes you like even more up. I'd have a heart attack the first time. Oh my God. I've never done it. I never will. I absolutely hate it. It turns people into monsters. A hundred percent. I fucking hate cocaine. Yeah. But their relationship was really intense. Like it's really intense. It's really fast. Phil's yeah. doing the same thing. Like he's pulling away. They're fighting. They're making up. They're fighting. They're making up. But this is one of those relationships where like at least in the beginning they think that that's sexy and fun. I know. It's never... Chaos does not equal fun, everybody. No, and I've said this on a hundred podcasts. I had a relationship like that once, Ugh. and I thought it was, like, the height of passion. No. And it's not that. Sometimes I look at my relationship with Steve, and I'm like, this is so boring and perfect. I love it you so much. I mean? Yeah. I'm so bored. I'm so, so happy. <laughs> yeah. I'm deliriously yeah. happy. I just could not fucking love my husband more. I know. Even though the we're best. bored 30 to 40% of the time. Yeah. Great. <laughs> so in the middle of all this chaos, Phil gets on SNL. It's 1986, and he's on Saturday Night Live. And weirdly, I guess his like audition tape, you can just watch it. You know what I hated about it? He's what? smoking. I know. Why he's do doing a bit. Do I know. That? You can see a lot of audition tapes from Oh, SNL. is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that's great. My favorite bit that he does, he goes, I can also do any dialect. Go ahead. Call out a dialect. <laughs> I don't do that. French. No, I don't do that. Yeah, no, I don't do that one. And that's the bit. That's a new bit I'm doing at our live show. Oh my God, that's so (laughs) good. But at the time, SNL was not doing great. It was known as Saturday Night Dead. They had a really bad year. Madonna had to come on and apologize and do this bit where she's reading a note from NBC. Which is hilarious, Madonna. Because they're they're doing that whole JR, the whole thing was a dream Yeah, yeah, yeah. And like, they're apologizing for the season before. The season that he's starting on, they say like, brought in a new golden era of Saturday Night Live. Because the cast had Phil Hartman, John Lovitz, Dana Carvey, Jan Hook, yeah. Like a lot of heavy hitters. Yeah, Nora Dunn. The thing is, they didn't mention any of the women. When they're like a new golden age or SNL, yeah. they named all the men. Yeah, I made sure to throw Jan Hooks uh, yeah. in there because I like her. <laughs> but Phil played a wide range of characters, but he was also on the writing staff. So he was playing, you know, Johnny Cash, Frank Sinatra. His Frank Sinatra is incredible. It's really good. he leans into the fact that Sinatra was a dick. So he's totally. like, he's he's just like rude to people as Sinatra. You don't scare me. I got chunks of guys like you in my stool televangelist Jim Baker. And we need their emotional and financial support now more than ever. Ed McMahon. You are correct, sir. Yes! He also did that Frozen Caveman Lawyer, which I forgot about until today, which is fucking hilarious. And Ed McMahon. But someone goes, he even goes on to play Jesus. And I'm like, like he worked his way up to that coveted role. You know what right. I mean? You don't yeah, want yeah, it. He, yeah. could, he just did it. He just talked totally. in like a very slow monotone yeah. voice. You put on a robe, anybody can be a Jesus. Right, come on. The beard, let's go. So Bryn and Phil get married in 1987, and Bryn would show up to SNL pretty frequently. So uh, you know better than I do, is that a thing? Not really. Because again, Bryn wants to break into the business, right? And again, Phil is not saying to her, like, honey, this is like a work thing. Could uh-huh. you not? Yeah. She's showing up looking all sexy. Julia Sweetie's like, she didn't go somewhere to 
fade into the background. She wore bright red clothes. Her legs, she showed as much of her legs as she could. She was wearing like pretty revealing clothing, but she would flirt with all the guys and sit on their laps. Someone says play with their hair and their ears. But the thing is, like, if that's inappropriate behavior, why is nobody telling her? Because I think Julia Sweeney even says, like, it was SNL. Everyone was blowing coke and being inappropriate. Yeah, because my thing is, like, she's a monster for many reasons. I don't think her, like, using her sexual wiles to, like, be noticed by the SNL writing staff is one of them. No, but it's just rude and disruptive. I agree. <laughs> you know? But, like, if it were Steve, if, like, I were on SNL and Steve were showing up in skimpy outfits sitting on the writer's laps, I'd be like, babe, not the place. Not, but Phil leaned into it. Right. Like, he would sort of use it as, like, can you believe that, like, this hot number's with me? Exactly. And that's why I'm saying, like, it's it's inappropriate and weird, but, like, also not her fault. Right. You know what I mean? But it was, like, really disruptive to what was going on at work. So, uh-huh. like, you know the SNL opening segments where they're always out in New York City somewhere? These are my favorite where it's like, Phil Hartman. Yeah, he's, he's like, like, oh, yeah. who, me? This is a some... banana story. You got to tell about the earring. Right. So he's sitting, if you remember. You see Phil full face at a diner, and there's a blonde woman sitting across from him. That's Bryn, the back of her head. She tried to turn her head and get her face on camera, and the director said, no, just look at Phil. So that's why her earring is dancing back and forth. That woman is Brynn. Yes. And she kept trying to turn her head to be on camera, like wave to the camera when Phil did. Yeah. And the director was like, Brynn, look that way. This isn't yes. about you. Yes. It's Phil yes. Hartman's intro. And so if you watch closely, her earring, it's gigantic, like because long dangly earring. It's only like a one second shot of Phil it's Hartman. It's as long, as long as it takes for Don Pardo to say his name. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's so, it's so yeah. fast paced and it's meant to be. Right. But if you watch it, watch it again. Her earring is moving. It's, it's like dangling. Swinging. Yeah. Because she kept trying to turn around. Yeah. And, like, that's the best take they had. Totally. Like, for those two seconds, they're like, we got her. We got to yeah. use that one. We got the back of her head. Isn't that wild? It's, when Julius Winnie pointed that out, I was like, oh, my God. Go back and watch it. We'll post it in the group. Because how many times have you seen that in your life? A thousand? Right. And, you know? And, and, and like, you missed Oh, my it. God. The earring is dangling. Crazy. Oh, my God. You think maybe she's laughing. They're yeah. talking. You don't think that's the reason. Totally. But she was really desperate and really obvious. At the end of Phil's second season, Brynn and Phil have their first kid, Sean. Oh. Okay. We're back with second wife, Lisa. Yeah. The one that was like with the sexy lingerie that yeah, she was he, they were married for a year. She's still friends with Phil, writes a congratulations letter to Phil and Bryn, and like signs it, much love, Aunt Lisa. Offers to babysit, yeah, like yeah. a lovely congratulations on the new baby card. And it's like bananas. She's like, I got back a letter that was hair curling, fury, rage, and death threat from Bryn. The gist of it was, don't ever get near me or my family or I will hurt you. Never, ever, ever come near us. You will be sorry. It's two pages long, but I love this, though. Because in the letter, she's threatening to kill Lisa the ex. Never talk to Phil again, blah, blah, blah. You know what Lisa does? She picks up the phone and calls Phil. (laughs) She's like, your crazy, crazy wife just sent me a death threat in the mail. Did you know about this? But then he's like, in fact, yes, I did, because you should have seen the letter she wanted to send you to, which I said, Phil. Not okay. Not okay, Phil. And at the very least, if you can't, like, make your wife not send the letter, like, you don't have any control over her. I know. fine, but at least call Lisa and let her know it's coming. I was just going to say, you have to give her a heads up, and like, we're not in the business of tone policing women, but no. I don't like what that is. Of like, course. I don't like, you can't do that. No, and like, to proudly say you should have seen the letter she wanted to send, garbage, yeah, Phil Hartman. not, it wasn't right. He no. should not have done that to Lisa. Absolutely not. And she says, I didn't speak to him or see him for many, many years. Right, so of course Bryn got exactly what she wanted. Exactly. So after a few years, SNL adds some younger cast members, like, yeah. 
yeah. David Spade, Adam Sandler, Chris Farley. And also Phil in 1989 wins an Emmy as part of the writing team. Like I they're know. saying he's on top of the world. And he was known as the glue. Like yeah. there's footage of Chris Farley calling him that. I don't think he loves it. Right. Because, <laughs> because what they're saying is that like he's not the funny one. We're the young funny ones, but he holds grandpa holds the show together. Right. You know, it's like Chris Farley as the motivational speaker throwing yeah. himself onto a table. It was sillier, a lot more yeah. physical. And that's really not what Phil's style of comedy was. Right. But then Bill Clinton comes along. So changes th- everything. Yeah. I mean, like these fucking politicians are the gift that just keep on giving. Right. Especially when you can do an impression that's so good. I mean, like, like think Phil's... about like his Bill Clinton or like Tina Fey's Sarah Palin, right. you right. know? Yeah. So, like, he was on top of the world, but his personal life was a mess. Yeah, and so in 92, their second kid is born. And, like, this is where my heart just breaks. Yeah. Because I'm like, I forgot there were children involved in this. Yeah, so it's Sean is the boy and Bergen is the girl. I looked up Bergen today. She's on Instagram. Yeah. You know what her job is? What? She's a consent culture advocate. I love her. I could sob right yeah. now thinking about her. Yeah. Thinking about these kids. I it know. It is so fucking brutal what I happened. I know. It's, uh, it's horrible. It makes it even more sad because, like, we see all these home videos where they they look really happy. Yeah, and like Phil loved being a father. Yeah, and... and the kids don't know. They're just having fun with their parents, you know? Yeah. Sing I love you with me, okay? I love you. You love me. These home videos, it's like the, the old Instagram versus reality totally. because like this is great loving family, but of course that's only on the surface. So we hear this story about how Phil was at SNL. Yeah, we hear from a makeup artist named Norman who's not a gay. Oh. I was I didn't know they let straight men be makeup artists. This is this is exciting. It's an exciting day for I've, everybody. I've worked with a few actually. Few. Yeah. If you're good at your job, you're good at your totally. job. You know what I mean? <laughs> I think that straight men should be allowed to be controversial. Okay. I think they should be allowed to be whatever they want. Especially the white ones. I think that we really should make room to let straight... Jody, I can't even joke about that right now. <laughs> I know. I can't I know. even joke about that it's right now. Tough, it's, it's been a been tough time. <laughs> Can you imagine if you were that kind of person? We would not be here. We wouldn't do any of this. I would still be talking about that one time I met that guy I hate so much. (laughs) Wait, Seven years ago. That other queer that makes another theater podcast? Yeah, I hate him. Let me tell you a story about what an asshole he is. He thinks that men have it real bad. You're a men's rights activist. Poor men. Men. Can I just say, there are plenty of amazing men. Plenty. We're married to two of them. Married to two of them. There are plenty of like wonderful, straight white men. Anyway. I know. You know what I mean? But you you guys are the butt of the jokes these days. I know. You know what? That's okay. You can take it. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're doing fine. You're doing, you're doing Everything. Fine. You have all your rights. I don't. It's fine. <laughs> Same Deal here, with girl. It. Deal with it. I know. Totally. Deal with it. Um, so Phil is at SNL and Bryn shows up one night wearing a black cocktail dress at 10 o'clock at night. Yeah. And this guy, Norman, the makeup artist, is like, everyone could just see, like, he went to go meet her and we couldn't hear them, but we could see the gesticulating and they were having a big old fight. Yeah. And like, you know, she'd come and blow coke in the bathrooms. But as everyone tells us, please, it was SNL. No, who wasn't blowing coke in the bathroom? It's really funny to hear like the modern people, like Kristen Wiig, talking about how like she would have died in one day of yes. SNL oh in the seventies or eighties. Yeah, She's like there's no way. I like, made ha- I mean, it's true. You think about these guys like Belushi and Chris Farley. It's yeah. like, how did the- it's crazy? It's just crazy. Like, and yeah, she had a habit of zapping him before his- the dress rehearsal. One night, I could hear through the dressing room door some provocative language. I heard him say Bryn several times, you know, he's yelling at her, you know. Um, he was obviously talking to his wife. And on at least one occasion that was even more dramatic, he came to the makeup chair, trembling, just trembling. He was white as a sheet. 
we learn that Bryn does this thing that abusive people do, like oh abusive partners God. do. They don't focus on this, but I'm glad you caught it too. Bryn has a habit of starting fights with Phil right before showtime. Yeah. And abusive people do this. They want to ruin anything that brings you happiness yes. in any way. So yes. then your big thing then becomes about them in some way. Exactly. So like she would pick a fight. She'd show up and wear the, this dress or whatever and pick a fight. And then like that would be on his mind during the thing that makes him happy and yes. what makes him famous because she's jealous that he's famous. And so the problem is there's a rational argument on both sides that neither one of them is having. She feels like he works too much and she's jealous of his fame and success and he loves his job and wants to work and wants to provide for his family and they can't just have that conversation. Because the thing, she's so obsessed with the fame. Yeah. Also to be like a mom of two kids, like that's a really fucking hard job. Yeah. The fact that he's not home to help with that at all, I'm sure there are days she would trade the pool for like a a nap. Yeah. You know? (laughs) (laughs) Don't make me defend her. You're doing it. You're digging this hole. I say it every week. So, yes, Phil has a very, very busy schedule. The SNL schedule is notoriously brutal. I'm not saying it's right, but like that's what it is. Now, on top of that, he gets a gig on The Simpsons. Right. He's Troy McClure and Lionel Hutz. I wrote, this is going to mean something to Jillian. I have no idea what they're talking about. (laughs) That clip that they picked. You may know me from such self-help videos as smoke yourself thin and get confident, stupid. Get confident, stupid. (laughs) That get confident, stupid is like, oh, God, it's just so good. Like, Lionel Hutz, there's this one episode where just watch We're doing this now. We're doing this now. I'm not going to do the whole thing. Great. But... (laughs) Homer sues a seafood restaurant because they said it was all you could eat and uh, he like <laughs> ate them out of house and home. Uh-huh. And then anyway, Lionel Hutz represents them and you should just watch it. Wait, it has... give us a line or two. So it's not a Lionel Hutz line, but they, <laughs> well, yeah. Okay. So Marge is on the you guys stand. Just, we're doing this. We're, just, we're digging in. So Lionel Hutz is defending Homer saying uh-huh. like, it was not all you can eat. You uh-huh. promise all you can eat and it's not. <laughs> so Marge is on the stand and, <laughs> and he gets her to say, she's, he's like, and where'd you go after the restaurant? And she goes, we went fishing. <laughs> and he goes, now does that sound like a man who had all he could eat? <laughs> and, he, and he calls over like, Homer, you might be the greatest American hero. That <laughs> we went fishing. <laughs> People who love The Simpsons are just a special bunch. There are a couple of good years. And I got to tell you, when Phil Hartman, you know. When yeah. Phil Hartman left, there are, there are a couple of really good classic. John Lovitz has a great episode of Streetcar Named Marge. They're great. There's some of them are really good where he plays a director. Oh, it's so Can good. Can we move on? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I love you so much. It was really good. Anything to give me uh-huh. a little bit of a smile these it's days. True. I'm going to go home and watch some Lionel. Oh, Hots, that's great. I'm going to go home and watch Rachel Maddow talk about the insurrection more. She is so She's so mad. angry. God bless her. I mean, her. God bless we her. We need it. I know. The, the righteous anger of Rachel Maddow, the one-man show by Patrick yep. Hines. <laughs> Keep it going. Keep it coming, Rach. So anyway, now Phil is trying to do something for Bryn. He's trying to raise her profile. Phil gets invited on the Howard Stern show and he brings his wife. Right. So Howard Stern used to film a lot of these For these E, episodes. I forgot yeah. that. And so Bryn makes sure to talk shit about all his ex-wives, by the yes. way. She uses this opportunity not to talk about like her career, but to yeah. shit on the ex-wives. Well, and Howard is saying like... If he screws up this marriage, then there's something wrong with him. Oh, Did no, you ever meet the other two wives? No. Were they ever were they in- Gretchen on the phone? Never wanted to meet the second one. I had no desire to meet the second one. And he's one. like, oh, were they as hot as you? I mean, Howard's I doing know. what he does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. But yeah. she is like, aren't, aren't you here to talk about your career? Girl? But the point is, he's trying to help her. He's trying to give her something. Right. And so, you know, Phil's making a ton of money and he's spending that money on anything but his family, it right. seems. So he's out working more yeah. and he's spending money not on his family. So, like, things aren't good at the home front. Right. He also, like, buys a boat, then another boat, then a small yacht. 
And a plane? I'm like, what on earth? Like, that is crazy money. And what no one is saying is that Bryn is a nightmare yeah. and their home life is a nightmare yeah. and he's avoiding. He's not, it's not just like, I'm sure he loves Catalina Bay yeah. as much as the next guy. But a lot of it is he doesn't want to be around her. And what makes me so sad, because I think about this all day, every day, like every time Daisy goes anywhere, all I can think about is like, well, that's the last time I'm ever going to see sure. her. Like, if he knew how little time he would have with his kids. I know. If he knew. Call the people you love today, everybody. Yeah. So it's Phil's last SNL show. They did a cast sign-off to the tune of So Long Farewell from uh, The Sound of Music. So long farewell. And after the end, there were just two characters remaining on stage, and one was Chris Farley and one was Phil. Goodbye. It was one of the memorable moments that anyone of that era would remember. So in this SNL, when it's like Phil Hartman and it's like, it ends with Phil and Chris Farley, neither one of them are crying. I know. Phil just looks like all they can think about is the after party. But they're like hugging each other and like holding yeah. each other. It's but very it's sad. not sad for them though. You know, I know what I mean? Like they were, everyone made the choice that was right for them. But now knowing what happened to I both know. of them, you know, it's like, it's I this think... weird time capsule. I know. Like within a couple of years, they'd both be you gone. Know? It's so, yeah. it's like, oh my God. And then somebody says like, well, nobody was surprised about Chris, but everybody was shocked about Phil. Yeah. Guys. We can't do that. We can't do that. Yeah, no, don't do that, everyone. So he wasn't on SNL anymore, but that means he was just like busy doing other things. Phil was on Letterman 13 times. So that gives you an example of how highly thought of he was. He was a go-to guy. Always come on prepared. Letterman always trusted him. He talks about having a variety show. Well, I'm going to do my own show for NBC, uh, The Phil Show, which will be a sketch comedy show. He's going to do his own sketch show, The Phil Show. Yeah. The other thing that Phil Hartman is working on is like a, a sitcom. And the whole idea is that he's going to be the man and there's like a woman character. And like the writers just want to write the woman character for Jan Hooks because right. like they're huge fans and she's so great. And they played so well together on SNL. They yeah. were always opposite each other. And so Phil's like, how about my wife? And the writers <sighs> say, well, is she funny? He said in her own way. And we thought, uh-oh. And the more that he talked about it, I could see that this was more about trying to work on the marriage and placate her, more so than maybe her being the most qualified person to do that job. Phil, you gotta have the conversation with your wife and yeah. just say, like, it's not gonna happen. Right, and also, like, having her on a sitcom isn't gonna save the marriage no. or make things any better. It's gonna make things worse, and you know that. Yeah. And so that's why you didn't really vouch for her. You right. said in her own way. Like, Jan Hooks is funnier than she is. Exactly. You guys work very well together. Imagine if we as Americans had had another sitcom with Phil Hartman and Jan Hooks that had run for 10 years. 10 years. We needed that, Phil. We needed it. God. And the thing is, neither one of these shows get made. The sitcom doesn't get made. The sketch show doesn't get made. Like, nothing works out. But then it does, though, because news radio comes along. And it was a perfect part for him. So he played this reporter who's in, like an egomaniac. This was the beginning of me never watching a sitcom ever again. I've never seen a, a single episode of this. Yeah. Remember that, like, Just Shoot Me show? Never saw a single oh, episode I never of that. Saw that. So Phil really wants to do this. He's great at it. And of course, Bryn's not happy. Yeah. She can't even be happy for him because every time he gets something, it just reminds her that she's not getting anything. And I'm sorry that I have to keep defending her, but, like, he's not being straight with her because yeah. she's saying, I would love to do a guest spot. He's like, great, I'll talk to the director and the producer today and we'll see if we can make that happen. And he'll come home having not done that because he doesn't want her to be on the show and she'll say, did you talk to them? And he's like, oh no, I forgot. Of course that's yeah. going to enrage her. They're just delaying the inevitable fight, you yes. know? They're yeah. not really just having it out. Yeah. But she like won't accept that too at the same time. Like she's so difficult and such a nightmare that she just won't accept that that's how it is. And she's definitely, she's also like suffering from addiction and even though she's gone to rehab a couple times, it never goes away. We hear this story that on Mother's Day 1997, Brenda 
apparently went out and was in very bad shape when she came home the next morning. And Phil was furious. He told his mother a little bit later, I cannot live with someone who can't control drugs and alcohol. And he insisted that Bryn go to rehab. And so Bryn ultimately agreed and said, okay, I'll go. And she gets wasted and she comes home like in the morning and Phil is super mad and she's got to go back to rehab. Yeah, she's going to rehab. She's in and out of rehab and she's relapsing. And Andy Dick is here to be very <laughs> honest about his partying. You know, Andy Dick is such a complicated idea of a human being. Andy Dick. Like he went to high school with Anthony Rapp. He did? Yeah, it's in Anthony's book. Anthony Rapp is I like- I read that book. Yeah, it, like Anthony, what is he? Oh, he's like on Star Trek now. Yeah. He's like most famous for being like, the original Mark Cohen and Rent, but he was like in Adventures in Babysitting. Oh, yeah. I love him. But he was talking about how like they were both like the queer kids in their school and Andy was like mean to him. <laughs> Andy, I know. could you help somebody I out? I know. You're and, in like, the same boat. Kathy Griffin has stories about Andy Dick. Like he, Andy Dick has been a long sufferer from addiction. Of course. So like, yeah, he, Phil Hartman is throwing a party. It's and, a Christmas party. Right. And like Andy Dick is there and he's saying that Brynn and her friend come up to him and they're like, oh, you're Andy Dick. You must have some coke. And he's, he's like, like, of course I, I do. Sure and do. what else do you need? Like, if you were in L.A. in the 90s and probably now and yeah. you needed drugs, you go to Andy Dick. And he's like, absolutely. And if you went to anyone else, I'd yeah. be insulted. Like, I, right. he's very honest about yeah. all of that, right? Somehow Andy Dick is, like, still alive. I know. And I say that not as a joke. He's, like, a notorious partier. Who's made, like, really bad, scary decisions. Yes, yes. So Andy says... She was already in relapse mode, which I didn't even know she had a problem at all in the first place. Didn't know. I had no idea she even had a problem with Coke. And again, which I say, if you're doing Coke in the first place. At your family Christmas party. I know. But this was a really scary night. Like, Bryn did too much Coke. And Phil, that was like a breaking point for him. He was like, I cannot be married to you if you continue to do this. Yeah. And she goes to rehab again, but like, she can't shake this addiction. She stays only for five days and she goes home. And this is like a turning point in their relationship. And Vicki Lewis, who was on news radio with Phil Hartman, is here to say that I could tell things weren't great with him. And then one day he came came in like looking really bad like yeah. unshaven and disheveled and he had scrapes and scratches on his face like yeah. Bryn had beat him up yeah and we'll get into that in a little bit yeah because it turns out that Bryn hired a PI to follow Phil around so like when he's going off to Catalina with his not gay friend because she thought he was gay she thought he was either seeing a woman or he was fooling around with his friend Grit what's his name Brit, Brit. because they, they, he was like I'm gonna go to Catalina yeah. with Brit for like three to five maybe seven eight ten days at the yeah. most and I gotta say right, I'll be back in two three four week uh, yeah days. you know what don't even who's counting i like, gotta say though britain that t-shirt it's worth a you know what we're a little hammered let's yeah. give it a try pardon my french but i get it <laughs> <laughs> but the, he was he was so Brit was like i gotta tell you that is so funny it's so funny, it's so funny. <laughs> When he first told me that, I was like, what? You adorable Muppet. You did what? How cute is that? And Brit was like, I was trying to get him to cheat on Brit, but he wouldn't do it. He yeah. wouldn't allow women on the boat. He was very, very faithful. And also, like, I think he knew that she probably is the type of person who'd have him followed. Yeah. So, like, he didn't want to deal with it. And Lisa, the second wife who got the death threat, who yeah. we love, they're back in touch. A couple of times he came to my apartment in Santa Monica. And I'd make lunch and we'd just sit and talk and hang out because he wanted to be my friend and he couldn't be my friend in public. And he said, no, I have to kind of sneak in. He'd wear a hat and glasses and he'd park in Slide Street and he'd sneak into my apartment. 
bad PI that you hired, Bryn. It's true. They didn't and get this on camera? No, and to be clear, he's going to her house for like for lunch. Like he's not right. like going for any sexy time. This is not healthy that you have to wear a disguise to go see somebody that you want. I, I know it's an ex and that can be complicated, but that's not what this I, is, You Bryn. know, I'm just trying to think about this because it's like, I understand people who can't get divorced because they don't have the resources. What are they going to do? Like who's yeah. going to move where? We can't afford to buy two, whatever. Yeah. They have all the resources they need to just be like, you know what? This isn't working out. And I think Phil, for all of his, how bad he is in relationships, I think if she want, he would do the right thing for the kids. I don't think he'd have her out on the street. He had a of ton of money. Not. like And like, and nor, in California, she gets 50% of what is his. You know, like. And as she should. Yeah, I think he would do right by her. I don't think, if it was going to be an ugly it's divorce, it would, it would be on her. You yeah. Know? But I mean, like, if, if he wanted to make it complicated, I don't think he would have. Uh-huh. You know uh-huh. what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Because I think what we're doing is prolonging the inevitable, which yes. is to say that, like, they didn't make any of these decisions that would have saved his life. And we also, like, we know this was intimate partner violence. We know this was abuse. So we don't know what she was saying to him. Right. We don't know what this, like, narcissistic abuser was saying and threatening him with and yeah. gaslighting him and manipulating him. Yeah. She might have said, like, what the hell are you going to do? You're famous. I'll ruin you. Uh-huh. You don't know what uh-huh. was being said behind closed doors. You yeah. we have no idea. And, but we also don't know that she was saying that. Right, we don't. Yeah, like, I, I don't know. But, like, yeah. the guy walks in with bruises and scratches on his face. Like, I can't imagine she's saying nice things to him at night either. No, and especially, like, if she's suffering from addiction. And, she, you, you know, right. because we also learned she's on Zoloft, so she's mixing Zoloft and booze and cocaine. Yeah. It's not a good, healthy environment. And now Phil is telling people. He said, and she gets vicious. She gets violent. And I said, violent. And he said, yeah, she throws things at me. She slaps me. I said, honey, she doesn't have a gun, does she? And he said, oh, yeah, she has a gun. She has a gun for protection. And she's like, does she have a gun? And Phil goes, of course, it's for protection. Yeah. And, and Lisa's like, Phil shit. also had a gun. Like, yeah. they both had guns. I don't know. That's scary. I don't like being in homes where there are guns. But Phil's like, I had stalkers. I've been extorted before. Yeah. Like, he's that famous. Yeah. People feel really connected to him. Like, I understand the protection of it. But for Lisa to ask that, like, what did Phil tell you over that lunch? And now we're at the last day of Phil's life in May of 1998. And people spoke to him that day. And they said he was, like, pretty okay. And, like, Phil was telling people, I really think things are turning with Bryn. I think we're getting better. I think things are going to be okay. Right. So it's May 27th, 1998. Phil gets home from whatever. He was out with his friend. He gets home around 7.30. Bryn has already gone out. The nanny is there. And we learn about her night. Bryn goes out for drinks around 7 or 7.30 with Christine Zander who we will later know as a writer on shows like Third Rock from the Sun. They'd go to Boco de Beppo, which is just a thousand feet from their home. She's meeting with her friend Christine, who's a writer on that show, Third Rock from the Sun, mm-hmm. which I love, by the way. That, see, <laughs> that's a, a sitcom you watch. Show. I watch like every episode of that show. <laughs> Kristen Johnson's a national treasure. She's great. But they're talking about the relationship and Brynn's not happy. And she's like, he doesn't care about my career. And he's not a father to the kids. He's too busy. He's not home enough. Yeah. And Christine says that she sees Bryn make at least two phone calls from the payphone at the restaurant, and she's in an agitated state. So we don't know who she called, though. We don't know who she called. Christine also says later to the police, Bryn wanted the night to continue, and Christine wanted to go home and go to bed. Yeah. So Christine goes home, and at 10.15 p.m., Bryn goes to her friend's house, Ron Douglas. Yeah. I don't know if he's, like, in the business or whatever, but, like, they dated for a while, a while back. Yeah, she's allowed to see her ex. See how that works when you're in an abusive relationship? She can do whatever she wants. Yeah. So she has... 
some beers with Ron. Ron's like, I think maybe she was on coke, but she needed a lot of attention. She really wanted to talk a lot. She was feeling really low and complaining about Phil. And she doesn't want to go home, and Ron just wants to go to bed. We've all had that fresh. She gets there at 10.15. She yeah. doesn't leave until 12.45. Too you, late. Like, that yappy coke, like, But ugh. also, who's letting your friend get in a car at 12.45? I know. Who's letting that happen, Ron? I know. I know. So, she leaves at 12.45 in the morning. What happens afterwards... We don't really know. The only information we have that there was even an argument seems to have come from Sean, the boy, remembering a slammed door and somebody yelling, sorry, 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 sorry. And so all we know now is that something happens and Bryn fires three shots into Phil Hartman, who's laying in bed. Yeah, the idea is that they've had a fight and he's gone to sleep because that's his pattern. Like, he would just say, like, well, I'm not dealing with this, and he would, like, remove himself and go to bed. And so, like, because he was shot in bed when she killed him, that, like, she picked a fight. Yeah. He said, no, I'm going to sleep. She was high, and she went in and killed him. So I thought she immediately took her own life. That no. is not... This was mind-blowing to me what happens next. So remember, she gets home at 1245, or she leaves the, her friend's house. Yeah. Let's say they have this fight she probably killed phil hartman at around 1 1 30 yeah. let's say yeah at 3 45 a.m Bryn goes back to ron's house the guy who just wanted to go to bed so this was not like a murder suicide like it happened and then it happened like no. she kills him is in the house with the body for a couple hours what and then gets back in her car probably and drives, drinking more blowing more coke 100 percent drives you know? back to her friend ron's house ron is so annoyed by the way right the last thing he wants to do is deal with her drunk high ass and she's in her pajamas yeah. so they i guess she changed I mean, obviously she did. Yeah. But she barges in and she says, I killed Phil. I don't know why. He hears these words and doesn't believe them, literally. It doesn't sound real. So Bryn is looking for something in her purse and a gun falls out. She's rifling through her bag and a fucking gun falls out. On this guy's living room I floor. Now, at 3.45, she goes to Ron's house. 5.45, so two hours. Yeah. Ron takes the gun, puts it in his trunk. Yeah. He doesn't want to be anywhere near this thing. And Ron and Bryn together drive back to the mansion. Which is like, what was happening for two hours? I don't know. For two hours? I don't know. And so Ron sees... That Phil Hartman is dead and he calls 911. And Bryn just keeps saying, Yep, I killed him. I killed him. I don't know why. And it's crazy. So he's in the hallway and she's in the bedroom. And he like steps out of the bedroom to call the cops and then tries to open the door to the bedroom. The bedroom door is locked. She's locked herself in and she's, she's hysterical. And she's hysterical. And now he's on the phone with the cops. We hear this call. The cops are like, Is this on purpose? Is this an accident or what? Do you know what happened? I have no idea. And she was strong. He said she had killed her husband. I didn't believe her. Where's the weapon now? It's uh, in my hand. Ah, uh, I know. Ron, he's holding the murder weapon, shaking. I know. Probably put I know. that thing down. Yeah. But now Bryn, she's hysterical, locks herself in the bedroom. She's making phone calls, crying and yeah. telling people that Phil is dead, and she's telling everyone that she killed him, and she doesn't know why. Yeah, and no one can get into the bedroom, so the cops show up, and I'm, I'm like, don't they have two kids? Where are these I know. fucking kids? I know. And the kids are like, the description of the children is so fucking heartbreaking I know. to me I know. because Sean, the boy, has come downstairs, and when the cops show up, like one. 
of these cops has the presence of mind to pick him up and get him out of the scene. And I'm like, but where's Bergen, the little girl? She's hiding. You guys, I can't even talk about they it. They go into her bedroom and she's cowering in a corner like, under a blanket. She's six. She's six. She's six years old and she doesn't know what is happening, but she's hiding in fear for her life yeah. under a blanket. I can't imagine what the what it must have sounded like for her I little ears. I can't believe it. I was sobbing when I got to this part. It is actual chaos down here, Tom, right? Yeah. Because Bryn is screaming and crying. She's on the phone. The cops finally arrive. They're trying to get the kids. They're looking. It's a mess. Yeah. And in the middle of all of this, there's a gunshot because Bryn has turned the gun on herself and she took her own life. Yeah. So like in the, and everyone is just like, what the fuck? It's like that scene in Mad Men where, where Betty's like watching the news and she's like, what is going on? Yeah. When they like kill Jack Ruby. She's yeah. like, what? Yeah. Like The cops are like, wait, what? We're still dealing with the, what? And, oh my God. Yeah. And like, no one can believe it. And everyone's trying to figure out why. And John Lovitz, who was Phil Hartman's best friend, is blaming this all on Andy Dick. Which is bananas to me. Vicky and I are driving out of the parking lot and John Lovitz stopped us and leaned in and whispered in my ear. I know you killed Phil Hartman. I was like, what the hell are you talking about? And they just started to go at each other. So Andy Dick, of course, gets out of the car and gets into fisticuffs with John. Like, of course, what? Right. That's his grief talking. Yes. He's blaming Andy Dick because what he's saying is like, and Andy's like, wait a second. I gave her Coke six months ago at the Christmas party. And like, only Bryn, only the killer is responsible for the killer's actions. Right. But Bryn, like, she was hammered. She, yeah. like, had a huge blood alcohol content. She plus the cocaine plus the Zoloft. Yeah. Bryn's brother sues Pfizer saying that Zoloft made her kill Phil Hartman. This was the most bananas thing. I and, Shut up. What's his name? I don't care. Shut up. Greg and, and up, Pfizer Greg. like settles it for $100,000 just to make Greg go away. And they want everyone to know there's no proof that Zoloft causes any rage or suicidal thoughts in any study that's ever been done. <laughs> yeah, it's real fucking crazy. And like in the end, right before she turned the gun on herself, Bryn called her sister in the Midwest and was like, raise my children and tell them that I love them. And that, and someone says, like, they have some clinical psychologist or something. And he says, To make arrangements for your children's care when you know you're going to be dead in a few minutes is actually the actions of a rational person. The enormity of what she'd, she'd done probably was fading in and out of her head throughout that night. But I think in that moment, it all became very, very clear. Even though it's garbagey and she's a monster and it's horrible, she thought to say, oh, shit, someone should watch my kids, huh? Yeah. And so, like, at the end of all of this, like, it's this horrible, senseless tragedy. We find out that the kids, Sean and Bergen, were raised in the Midwest by Bryn's sister. They're, like, both in their 30s now. Yeah. They're, like, super private people. They don't want to be bothered. Of course they don't. But, you know, like, News Radio, his character died on the show. Yeah. And The Simpsons, they retired all of his characters. And by 2014, he gets a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. And people are saying, like, he could have been a time. Tom Hanks. He could have uh -huh. been that famous and yeah. that ubiquitous. Yeah. All right. We got to end this on a, some sort of light note. I have. All right. I have something. This oh. is a Mike Myers story. Oh, shit. About John Lovitz. Okay, go About why. <laughs> about so, John Lovitz? About John Lovitz. Okay. So he was asked at the Nantucket Comedy Festival. I love this story so much. He was asked. <laughs> Who is the funniest living person that you know? Uh -huh. And he said, John Lovitz is hands down the most naturally funny person I've ever met. And when asked why, he says... This is Mike Myers talking. Mike Myers is telling yeah. the story. He says, we were all at this like informal wake for Phil Hartman. And he goes, I just couldn't believe it. I was walking around in a daze and I just kept saying like, can you believe that Phil is dead? Can you believe that someone shot our friend Phil? Like, can you believe this? And John Lovitz, Phil Hartman's best friend, turns around and goes, "Now nah, you're making it sound worse than it was. <laughs> And Mike Myers is like, that was the funniest. Like, it was the only way he uh -huh. just cut through everything. And he's like, and that's why John Lovitz is the funniest person I know. Uh -huh. Oh, girl, we 
they did the fine. Is it the final days of Phil the Hartman? The last days the of Phil Hartman. The last days of Phil oh, Hartman. Oh man, God, what a what a bummer. And you know, Brent, fuck off. I hate yeah. you. I she's a piece of shit. Yeah, the stuff with the kids was just really I know, really it's hard really for me. Tough. Fam, I hope you're listening to Jillian's new podcast. Oh, Let the women do the work. Oh my God, I just fell in my chair. Unfortunately, that was an excitement. That was fear for your life. <laughs> I, I just fell in my chair yep, again. Again, come see me on tour. I'm going to Florida, Atlanta, St. Paul, and Texas. Great. Check out the website for the dates. I'm going with Maggie and Timmy and Lancey. We're doing the Disappearance of Maura Murray. It's going to be so fun. Everyone go see it. It's going to be so fun. Come see us at Obsessed Fest, fam. Yes. September 30th to October 2nd, 2200 of your true crime best friends. The programming is crazy. The yep. live shows are even crazier. Still working on some more things. It's going to be It's going to be a time. It's going to be a time. It's going to be a time. Girl, what are we doing next? We are doing Truth and Lies, Monica and Bill on oh, Hulu. Oh, shit. Oh, man. <laughs> Everyone get your apology letter ready for Monica. Yeah. We're all going to do a letter writing campaign to apologize to Monica, okay? Thank you. All right, stay, stay, stay tuned for the trailer for that. Our funny, ridiculous, and hilarious outtakes. Yeah, which is basically just me talking about The Simpsons. We <laughs> We love you, fam. Bye. Bye. This story has everything. It has power. It has politics. It has sex. A navy blue dress with the president's semen stain on it. There was a fascination about it, and there was a fascination about Monica. She was a White House intern, and he was the president of the United States. In the Me Too movement, she would be looked at in a different way. Monica, you have been described as a, a stalker, a seductress. Describe yourself. I'm very loving. I'm very loyal. Uh, I think I'm intelligent. <laughs> if the Monica Lewinsky scandal happened today with this Me Too movement, Bill Clinton wouldn't be president of the United States. You realize she was just a kid and she was caught up in one of the biggest scandals in American history. Do you remember in that episode, it was the Shaw Shocker episode, yeah. Jillian looked at me dead in the face. She goes, you have to you stop have it. To st- you and have to stop. And I feel like everyone saw it. I know. Too. Like well, it I came- was scared. <laughs> I got frightened. You just can't keep doing that. No, it was kind yeah. of. Sometimes with you, I got to push to the limit until you yell at me because then that's the funniest and moment. And that was yelling. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Totally. <laughs> that's how we fight. Can we talk about this house in Encino sure. for a second? Yeah. If you've ever seen any of the footage of like the murders, you know what this house is. I thought you were going to say, if you've ever seen Encino Man. <laughs> Which I have not, by the way. Really? Hashtag say Brendan Fraser. Oh, you'd like it. I bet I would. It's silly. Yeah. You know, it's like, you like that, it. that, like that kind of 90s California talk. I'm totally. Sure. Yeah. It's like, yeah, you'd love it. Doesn't spend it with her family. I was going to say, wait <laughs> a second. She's not spending, they're not no. spending that day together. She's out getting hammered. You know what, though? It's the one day off she gets because she's working nine, no, nine that, days a week. No, that's true. I've heard a lot of mothers on Mother's Day, they prefer like it's their alone day. Yeah. Or like, I've, I've heard of mothers like spending a night in a hotel by themselves. Sure. on Mother's Day because it's like no one's asking me a fucking question no. for once. Surfing is so hard. I can't even imagine. It is so hard. It's impossible. It's one of those things that I'll never, it's like when I talk about, or complain about like how parenting is hard, you're like, I'll never know. I'm never going to know I that. will never, ever know how hard surfing it's is. It's so hard. Anything else you nope. want to say about it? It's just really hard. <laughs> Great job if you can do it. I don't know. <laughs> 